No matter how I've fallen, he picks us up. Thank God, thank God, thank God for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you what, every one of us here tonight need to thank God every day, every day for his grace and his mercy. Can I get an amen? Praise the Lord. His grace is always sufficient. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to pick up again tonight where we kind of where we left off last week. We began last Wednesday night a study in the book of Philippians. And uh, so if you want to open to Philippians tonight, the very first chapter, we will be... Um, well, I'm going to just kind of review a little bit what we talked about last week. And basically last week... Um, we began this study by giving you some background on the church of Philippi and how this church began, how it was, how it was planted, how it was formed. And um, the beginnings of this church, remember how the Holy Spirit divinely and supernaturally directed Paul and his missionary team. They were on their second missionary journey. They... They wanted to go into Asia. They wanted to go into Bithynia. They were seeking to go in a different direction, but every place they went uh, that they essayed to go, the Holy Spirit forbade them to go there. He said no. He didn't want them to go there. He stopped them. He closed the door of ministry and opportunity. So Paul didn't know where to go. He's He's no doubt seeking the Lord. And then one night he has a dream. In the dream he sees a man from Macedonia. And the man is calling for them saying, come over here and help us. And when he told the dream to his missionary team, they immediately knew that it was the Lord telling them to go to Macedonia. So they did. They went into Philippi, the city of Philippi, which, as I mentioned last week, this was such an important move of God because it was, it was the beginnings of the gospel. It was the gospel being taken now to the, the, um, the European continent, to that area. And because of this move and this Philippian church that was planted uh, on that continent, the gospel has spread to the, to the west and to where we are today. And it was because of this move in Acts chapter 16 that we have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this part of the world today. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. And so this was the beginning of the church of Philippi. When Paul got there, he went down by the riverside. Sounds like a good song, doesn't it? And uh, <laughs> he went down by the riverside and there was uh, where, where there was he figured would be a prayer meeting and there was and there was a woman by the name of Lydia who was a well-to-do lady she was a, a a merchant she was a seller of purple she was a traveling salesman so salesperson so to speak and was a woman of means her and her family were there and those there were several gathered around at the river and Paul preached the gospel to them 
And Lydia and her family were saved. That was the first soul saved on that continent, on that European continent, and was the beginning and the nucleus of that church. Remember the second person that is recorded that was saved was that little demon-possessed girl that had the spirit of divination. She had a spirit to tell fortune. She was a fortune teller, and she had masters that used her, men that used her to make them a lot of money telling people's fortunes. And she followed Paul and Silas and the team for a few days, and she was crying out, and uh, after a while, Paul became annoyed with her and uh, the Spirit of God. Somebody said, well, why didn't Paul cast the demon out of that young lady at the very beginning when she started it? Well, you can't just turn the gifts of the Spirit off and on. But he waited till the Holy Spirit moved, and when, he was, when it was the right time, he uh, turned around, he rebuked the Spirit, commanded that evil spirit to come out of that young lady, and she was delivered immediately and set free and saved, and she became the second person, uh, the second person, uh, Lydia, more than the second person, but Lydia and her family, and then this was the second individual that, that's recorded was saved. So the church was growing. Paul and Silas put in jail, put in jail, put in the stocks, locked up, and uh, looks like that it looks like the ministry, their ministry now is over in Philippi. I mean, several people have gotten saved. The gospel's beginning to be preached, and it looks like their ministry's over. Now they're locked up in jail. But in the midst of that, what did they do? They chose to pray, have a prayer meeting in the prison, to sing and have a, have a gospel. They just had a gospel concert right there in the prison, sang to the prisoners. The Bible said the prisoners heard them, and uh, God was liking it. God was enjoying it. Amen. I believe God was just up there. Boy, he was getting in it. He started telling tapping his foot, and when he did, uh, there was just an earthquake. <laughs> there was an earthquake, and it, it, it opened the prison doors. The prisoners were set free. Paul and Silas were set free. And that jailer, that Philippian jailer, gave his heart and life to Jesus. Amen. Instead of committing suicide, which he was about to do, he came in, and Paul said, don't, don't do yourself any harm. And he came in, and he, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he said, men, what, he said, what, what? What, what do I need to do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your household. And he shared the gospel with them. And the jailer and his whole household, his family got saved that night, were baptized that night, took the preacher home for dinner, praise God, and uh, amen. And, uh, and so the church is growing. So this is the beginnings of this church at Philippi. And it's recorded in Acts chapter number 16. And that's why Paul, and we talked about this last week, uh, we, in, where he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So this church was a church that brought, uh, it, it, when he thought of them and when he remembered them, he had a good feeling in his heart. He loved these people. He loved this church. It was good. It was, there were good memories about what God had done in this church. So he's writing them this letter. And there's another important fact. And I think I mentioned this last week. But this, this letter to the church at, at Philippi, to these Philippian believers, was the theme of this book. When you read through it, the theme of this book is joy. 
It's joy. It's a joyful book. Joy is mentioned, I think I said 19 times. Either joy, the, the word joy, joyfulness, rejoicing, you know, gladness is mentioned 19 times in this book. So it's an overwhelming theme in this book is the, the theme of joy. And he's teaching them to be joyful, to be happy. He's encouraging them to be happy. And he himself is thankful and joyful and happy. But, but what's so interesting about that is, Paul, as I said last week, he wasn't writing this letter to them from the Marriott or from the Hampton Inn or uh, uh, even from a Motel 6. I mean, he was, he was writing this letter from a Roman prison. He was in bonds. He was a prisoner and he was, he was locked up. But you know what? You know, Paul never referred to himself as being a prisoner of Caesar or a prisoner of Rome, but he always referred to himself as being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it was the outlook that he had. And so in the midst of, of him being in prison and this being a prison letter with Paul in bonds, he's still joyful. You know, you can, you can bind the man of God and you can lock up the preacher, but you cannot lock up or bind the Word of God. The Word of God is going to go forth. And people have tried for, for, millennial to, for millennia to bind and to stop the Word of God, and they're still trying today, but you will not, they will not be successful in stopping the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. So this letter was a prison letter, but it was also a love letter. When you think about this letter, and as you read Philippians, you will see that it is a, it is a love letter. It's a pastor's love letter to his favorite church, to a group of people that he loves so very much. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, that's exactly what it is. And he's telling them how much he loves them and how much he appreciates them. And I mentioned this as well last week, that... Um, that there's no mention of sin in this letter. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't rebuke. He does make a correction because there were some people that were, that were out of harmony with one another, and he makes a correction in here to get them back in right fellowship with one another, but he doesn't mention sin. He does mention some false doctrine and warns them of false doctrine, but by and large, this church was a church that was doing right. It was a church that brought Paul much joy and it was a church that he was in love with very, very much and a people that he was in love with very, very much. Amen. And so when you think about Lydia, the seller of purple, she's part of this church. A demon-possessed girl, she gets saved. She's a part of this church. A jailer gets saved. He's a part of this church. And can you see the diversity of people that are making up this church, the body of Christ? Lydia is very, she's, she's well-to-do, she's wealthy. This little slave girl that was delivered from the demon, she's a poor young lady, she's poor. Uh, the jailer, he's kind of middle class, you know. He's a working man, he's a blue-collar guy. And so, you know, you have a diversity of all different kinds of people. And what they all have in common is, is a fellowship. Paul says that in verse 5, of chapter 1, uh, verse, verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine making request, request for you all with joy for your fellowship. 
in the gospel. And, and so they had a fellowship. This is the family of God. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what the family of God is made up of. And that is what the church is made up of. It's made up, the church is made up of all different kinds of people, of all um, age groups, of all um, um, financial, you know, whatever the financial status may be, ethnic backgrounds, race. It, God's not looking at that stuff. What God's looking at is do we know his son, Jesus Christ, and we're all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no, in the eyes of God, there's no rich and there's no poor, there's no black, there's no white, amen, male or female, we're all one in the Lord Jesus Christ and we make up the family of God and the, uh, the, the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, so let's look here at verse number one. Paul now is addressing this church. He's beginning this love letter to the church at Philippi and he's, he's, he and Timothy um, are writing this letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, he, he's, he's addressing who is writing this letter, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and this is so interesting. This, this, that Paul refers to himself as a bond servant. He and Timothy both as bond servants of Jesus Christ. The word there in the Greek is doulos, and it means a bond servant or a bond slave, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, Everyone, I'm going to say this and, and clarify what I'm saying because I want you to understand what this is teaching here. When you look at that word bondservant or bondslave, this is what Paul referred to himself as. He did not refer to himself as an apostle here or as a prophet or as a great man of God. Uh, he didn't refer to himself as a prisoner of Rome, as I said, or a prisoner of Caesar. But he said that he was a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, every one of us tonight, everyone, everybody today, everybody is a slave. Amen? There are two kinds of slave, slaves, and, you know, slavery is, is a terrible thing. We've been hearing different things about slavery lately, and there are two kinds of slaves in the world today. There are those, and I'm talking about in the world, but also in this nation, in the United States. There are those who are slaves to sin, and there are those who are slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So there is slavery in America today, and in every nation of the world today there is slavery, but it's a spiritual slavery. And I'm, I know there's, there's literal slavery going on in parts of the world to get today, and that's a terrible thing. But in the spiritual realm, everyone, everyone is either a slave to sin and Satan or a slave 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. He said this, writing to the church at Rome. He said, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So Paul says, you are, you are somebody's slave. Are you with me? You're either a slave, uh, you're the slave of the one you obey, whether of sin or of obedience unto righteousness. Jesus himself made this same statement, uh, a, a, um, a similar statement, the same subject matter in John chapter 8 and verse 34. And Jesus said this, it says that Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Do you see that? That word commits there is, it doesn't mean just somebody that that sins one time and then is repenting of it because all Christians at one time or another, no matter how holy we are, miss it and sin. That doesn't mean that you're a slave. You ask forgiveness, you get forgiveness. But that word commits there means practices. Someone who is practicing, habitually practicing a lifestyle of sin, Jesus said, is a slave to sin. Do you see that? So sin, according to the Bible, sin puts an individual in bondage and sin makes a slave out of a person. People that are, that are outside of Christ, that are not Christians, that are unsaved, are controlled by sin, by the sinful, fallen, Adamic nature. They're controlled by a spirit of disobedience. A sinful lifestyle that they live is because they're in slavery to sin. And, and listen, folks, there's no way that anybody under, in their own power, strength, or ability can break that slavery of sin in their life. Sin controls and sin dominates the life of every person who is out outside of Jesus Christ. There are people today who are slaves to drugs. There are people today, would you agree that drug addiction is a slavery? That individual that is hooked on methamphetamine or heroin or cocaine or whatever drug it may be, they are enslaved by that addiction, by that drug. Many today, thousands of people. There are many people in this, in this mineral area tonight who are enslaved to drugs, enslaved to alcohol, slaves to their desires, slaves to their addictions. And all sins are addictive. I said all sins are addictive. In other words, what I mean by that is you can't just, when it comes to sin, we can't just take it or leave it. And I don't know how many times people have said, you know, um, people that have an alcohol problem or a drinking problem have said, and I've heard them say before, well, I can quit it any time I want to. Um, you know, well, they can't. They can't. You know, same thing with the, and the thing about an addict, um, someone who's addicted to drugs, 
or alcohol, they, they, they want to deny that addiction. They don't want to admit it. And the only way that somebody can be delivered and set free is they have to admit first they've got a problem. The only way a person can be saved is they've got to admit that they're a sinner and that they're lost and that they cannot save themselves and they need a Savior and the only Savior is Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so sin is addictive. It, it gets its clutches on people. It grips people. It binds people. It enslaves people. That is what sin does. And the multitudes today, the majority of people in this world today are in that grasp and that hold and in those clutches of sin. And Jesus said, who Ever, whosoever commits or practices sin, whoever that individual is that is living a lifestyle of sin is a slave. They're enslaved to that sin. They're a slave to that sin. Israel, I preached a couple of weeks ago on the lamb and uh, delivering Israel by the blood of the lamb from Egypt, but they were in bondage in Egypt, weren't they? They were enslaved. That was a type. They're, you know, Israel's bondage and slavery in Egypt is a type of the sinner's bondage and slavery to the world and to the world of sin. And so they were there. Sin, listen, Pharaoh had those taskmasters over Israel. They could not get loose. They could not get free. They, they, they were under uh, that heavy yoke of oppression. That is what Satan and sin does to people's lives. And many that want to get free, but they can't break those chains. There's only one thing. The same thing that broke the chains of slavery off of the Israelites is this, this what breaks the chains of slavery of sin today. And that is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb of God. I once, you once, all of us at one time were slaves to sin. But praise God. Listen to me, saints. Oh, I'm glad to be able to say. I'm glad to be able to say as that song said, I'm covered by his blood. Hallelujah, I'm covered. No matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, no matter how many times I've fallen, ladies and gentlemen, I've been to Calvary. I've had the blood of Jesus applied to my heart and to my life. And I one time, in my life was a slave to sin. I was bound by its clutches. But now, praise God, I can say by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am now a bondservant and a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm still a slave, but thank God I've changed masters. I'm not a slave to Satan. I'm now a servant a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus is my master and my Lord today well praise God amen I tell you that's about to get me excited hallelujah see slavery in Bible days slavery meant ownership in other words if you were a slave in Bible days you belonged to somebody that master owned you it was that way in, with slavery in the United States. That's a terrible thing when it comes to one person owning another person. That's a terrible thing. Amen. But slavery meant ownership. But in the spiritual realm, 
it means that as well. Oh, hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul said, writing to the church at Corinth, he said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And notice this. And you are not your own. Well, if you're not your own, whose are you? (laughs) Amen. Verse 20 says here, verse 19, you are not your own. Look, for because you were bought at a price. Hallelujah. Somebody bought you. Glory to God. Somebody paid a price for you. Come on. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. I don't even have ownership over my own self. Glory to God. As a child of God I have been bought by the blood the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I belong to him tonight. You belong to him. And so he said Glorify your, your, with your body. Glorify God with your body uh, and your spirit with your God. See, ladies and gentlemen, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ and gave your life to him, as I said, you changed masters. Satan's bondage and, and, and stronghold over your life was broken, and you became a child of God and a servant and a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are no longer your own. I am no longer my own you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and he is your master today and can I tell you something this is a happy slavery I said this is a joyous happy slavery to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ he's a good master can I get an amen Jesus has got a plan for your life and that plan that's that 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 plan that he has for your life is the greatest plan that you could ever ever imagine hallelujah he's my master and my lord in the old testament and we're talking about still this this word bond servant he said i am a timothy and i are bond servants of the lord jesus in the old testament in exodus chapter 21 uh, it talks about this bond servant now, I want, I want us to look at those verses. I've preached from this before. but This is a powerful example in Exodus 21, verse number 1. It says this, now these are the judgments, and this, this was the, the law concerning the bondservant given to Israel. These are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh He shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But look at verse 5. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, My wife and my children, I will not go out free. 
Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and the master shall pierce his... He's going to get his ear pierced here. The master shall pierce his ear with, a, with an awl, and he shall serve him for... Ever. I don't know if they numbed it with ice or not. I doubt it very seriously. And he shall serve him forever. And what this passage is saying, listen, here's the way it was set up. If there was a person, a Hebrew, an Israelite, that, was, that had fallen under hard times, they were, they were in, in bankruptcy, they couldn't make ends meet, they were, they were poor, this Hebrew could sell himself as a servant to a wealthy man, another Hebrew man, a wealthy man, and would serve that man for six years. And then in that seventh year, he was allowed to go free. He could go back to his, whatever he was doing before, but he could go free. But during that six years, here's usually what happens, and that's why the Lord set this up this way. During that time that he had sold himself to this Hebrew man, and he had become his bondservant, um, many times this servant, this slave, had it better with this master than he did before. I mean, he was in, in poverty, he was near bankruptcy, he, couldn't, he didn't have enough to eat, but when he sold himself to this rich, wealthy Hebrew master, he took care of him, he fed him, he clothed him, he gave him a place to live. If he, if he married a wife while he was there and had children, he took care of his entire family. And so this slave, I mean, it wasn't like slavery like we think of slavery. This slave had it made, I mean, he was... He was working for the master. He was taking care, doing jobs, doing whatever he was required to do. But he was well, very well cared for, well fed, well clothed. His accommodations were good. And so this slave, this servant, this bond slave would say, this is the best deal going. This is the best thing I've had in my life. I love this man. He's taken care of me and taken good care. He's good to me. And he said, I don't want to go out. I mean, I've been here six years. In this seventh year, it's time. And the master comes to him and said, okay, you've served your six years. It's in the seventh year now. It's the year of release. You are free to go. But most of the time, or many, many times, this slave, this servant had it so good that he told his master, he said, I don't want to go. I don't want out of this. I got it too good. So there was this little ceremony that they would have. And the master would bring the servant and his wife and children. And they would come before the, 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 the opening or the entrance of the house. And the Bible said that he would make a declaration. This slave, this servant would make a declaration. And in verse 5 it said that the servant would plainly say, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out free. I love my master. I don't want to go anywhere else. And they would take that servant and they would put his ear up against the doorpost of the house. How many know what an awl is? You know, they would take an 
all and they would, they would pierce his earlobe and he had a big hole in his ear. And you know what that was, a, was, was signifying and symboling, uh, was a symbol of? I have surrendered voluntarily and willfully my life, the rest of my life to my master and he will take good care of me and I will serve him forever. And I want you to know something. Since I've been a servant of Jesus Christ, I've had it too good. He's been too good to me. I don't want out of this gig, amen. I'm enjoying myself serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to serve him forever and forever. Come on, Jesus. Pierce my ear. Hallelujah. I'll serve you forever. Come on and give the Lord praise. Well, that's what Paul was saying. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want out of this. Amen? But notice that servant had free will, free moral agency. He could go out or he could stay. Amen? You and I are the same way. We have a free... the, The Lord does not... He does not tamper with our will. When we get saved... We, 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 you know, we can serve the Lord or not. It's still our choice, right? And some people walk away from the Lord. They walk out on Jesus. I'm kind of like Peter, you know. <laughs> Praise God. You remember Jesus, you know, Jesus preached a pretty rough message one time in the sixth chapter of John. And he began to preach to them about the manna from heaven. He began to preach to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they, didn't, they just couldn't handle that. They should have known what he was talking about because he was referencing again the Passover meal of the blood being applied and the lamb being eaten. And what he was saying to them was, you know, you're going to have to put your faith in in me and what I'm going to do. But they couldn't handle that. And the Bible said in Romans, uh, Romans, in John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69, it said that when Jesus preached that sermon, it said that many of his disciples walked away from him they left him you know we get the idea and and at the beginning of Jesus earthly ministry he did have a big following people were following to be healed and delivered and 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 he fed the multitudes and all that but the closer listen to me the closer Jesus got to the cross the closer he got to Calvary Amen. The more the crowds begin to dwindle away. They wanted this Jesus that was the healer and the miracle worker and the and the and the bread multiplier and all that. But they didn't know what to think about a Jesus that was going to hang on an old Roman cross and be crucified and die on that cross. But when he preached that message, and it was a message about his his sacrificial death, basically, and they that. Many of his disciples walked away from him, left him. 
And you know what? Here's the thing. Jesus did not run after them and say, Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean it that way. Don't leave me. Please come back. Don't leave me. You know what Jesus did? He let them walk away. He didn't force them to stay. He let them walk away. But you know what he did? He turned them to the twelve. He turned to the twelve and he said, Do you guys want to go too? They had the right. Do you all want to go too? And you know what, Peter? Oh, Peter, you know, he, 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 had a t- he had a way of saying the wrong thing a lot of times. You know, with the thing with old Peter, it was like um, uh, open mouth, insert foot. You know, he did that quite a bit. But I'll tell you, he was on the ball this time. When Jesus said, you guys want to go too? Remember what Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have. You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. See, that's the way I feel tonight. Oh, hallelujah. I don't want to go out free. I'm a bond slave, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan has no hold on me anymore. Sin has no bond on me anymore. I am free because whom the Son is made free is free indeed. I've got freedom. I've got liberty. I've got joy. I've got happiness. I've got Jesus. And I don't want to of this. He's too good to me. Hallelujah. Well, come on and give him praise. Oh, this living for Jesus, man, I'm telling you, it's not an old sad, grumpy life of woe is me, of gloom and despair and all that. No, if that's the way your Christianity is, you've got the wrong stuff. Hallelujah. Oh, man. Jesus has brought us out of the slavery of sin and made us slaves of righteousness and holiness, bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I am today, what Rick Hensley is today, before before I am a pastor, before I am a preacher, before I am a minister, anything else, before I am a husband, before I am a dad, before I am a grandfather, I first and foremost am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. Hallelujah. He's bought me and purchased me. Amen. Man, I preached all this time on one word. We will get through this book, I'll I'll guarantee you. Amen. We may finish it up in heaven, but we'll get through it. So he says, just a couple minutes, but we'll close, okay? He said, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. He introduces them, and then here's who he's writing to. To all the saints in Christ Jesus 
who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. The bishops means the pastor, the overseer of the church. He's writing to the leadership, to the overseer, to the bishops, the pastors, the deacons, and, but notice, to all the saints in Philippi. Paul here's addressing this letter, writing this letter to the saints. Is he, let me ask you a question. Is he writing to dead people or living people? Well, they're all dead now. But when he wrote it, when he wrote, when he wrote it, he was writing to living people, living saints, living men and women in the church, right? And what did he say they were? He said they were saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Their residence was at Philippi, but he addressed them as being saints in Christ Jesus. I know some people would say, when you talk about a saint, they'd say, well, that leaves me out. I'm definitely no saint. Hallelujah. Well, what is a saint? What are saints? They're not, and I'll give you a hint, they're not a New Orleans football team. <laughs> Amen. What is a saint? A saint is not some super holy person that's been canonized by the church and granted sainthood after they have died. That's not a saint. Now, there's a teaching in, in some church, churches, I'll leave nameless, that teach that, you know, they have St. Paul and St. Peter and St. Matthew. and In other words, St. So-and-so, when they die, they were super holy in their life and they go through some ritual in the church and have them canonized and declared to be saints and they attain sainthood. And then once they're a saint in heaven, then the church can pray to them. Well, there ain't nothing in the Bible about that. Praise God. <laughs> So, Paul isn't writing to dead people at Philippi. He's writing to members of the church at Philippi. He's writing to all the believers at Philippi. He's writing to all the saved people at the church at Philippi. And he refers to them as saints. And can I tell you something this, this evening? That there are only two kinds of people in the world. There's the saints and the ain'ts. <laughs> You are either a saint or you ain't. All right? Saints, what does that mean? That word saint, the Greek word for saint means holy one. It's a Greek word that means holy or set apart. And, and so when we refer to, to believers as saints, we're referring to a positional truth. Because you are not a saint because of what you do, but you are a saint because of what Jesus did for you at Calvary on that cross and your acceptance of that and your faith in that finished work. Christians are different than others because we are in Christ Jesus. You become a saint when you accept Christ and God the Father through your profession of faith places you in His Son, Jesus Christ, and you then become a saint, a 
called out one, a separated one, a sanctified holy individual, not a perfect individual, but a set-apart individual that is in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, I'm about to shout. I've got to close, I've got to close. But Christians are different because we're in Christ. And this, this term, this, this place of us being saints of God, is, it's about our position in Christ, not about our practice. Let me say that again. It's about our position. That's what makes you a saint. Your faith in Christ has positioned you in Christ, has set you apart for Christ, so you're a saint right now while you're alive, sitting in this seat at Abundant Life Family Church. I, I pray walking through here and pray, you know, I can kind of remember. That's why I like people, kind of like people sit in the same place because I can walk through here and pray and I can look over and say, there's Sister Sharon that's there. So I can pray for Sister Sharon and Joe and Vicky and Jim and Marsh and Patty and everybody, amen. And, uh, but, but, but I'll pray that way for the saints. I pray many times collectively, Lord, I pray for these, your saints that are here and Farmington at Abundant Life Family Church that you have brought here and planted here and that are your saints in this church. I lift them up in the name of Jesus and pray for them. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was addressing the saints at Philippi. You're the saints of Farmington Abundant Life Family Church. Amen? So, so, you know, many people, though, they get this all messed up, that when you make a statement that, it's, that being a saint is about position, not practice, you're not saying that your practice is not important. Because what you practice and how you live is important. Your position is a saint, but because of that position in Christ Jesus, that will affect your practice. In other words, your walk, your lifestyle, how you live and what you do. Come on, amen. So your practice, your life is important. Listen to this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to land the plane, folks, okay? Paul said in Ephesians 5, 3, he's writing there to saints at Ephesus. In Ephesians 5, 3, he says, listen, but fornication and all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So he's saying the saints, that's your position in Christ, but because you're a saint and in Christ, you will live a different life. We all know that, don't we? Your practice or your behavior must be consistent with your position in Jesus Christ i got to stop. <sighs> Praise God. Saints are not perfect. We're growing. We're developing. But our spiritual address as saints is we're in Jesus Christ. Amen? Worship team, make your way back. That'll get me, that'll, that'll cause me to close up. Listen, he said to the saints who are in Christ, you are, you and I are, everyone here is, 
in one of two locations. You are either in sin or in Christ. You are either in Adam or in Christ. Amen? When you and I, when we were born a physical, our physical birth, we were born into this world. Every one of us was born into the human family and we were in Adam. Then by virtue of the spiritual birth, when you got born again, you became a part of God's family and you, glory to God, were taken out of Adam and put in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Paul said, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So I'm not in Adam anymore. I'm in Christ now. Come on, somebody. Amen? To be in Christ, what does it mean? To be in Christ means to be like a fish in the sea, a fish in water. You are in Christ. He's surrounding you and your life is hid with Christ in God. To be in Christ means to be like a bird in the air. It means to be like a tree in the soil. Amen? There's some people today that they will tell you, they'll say, well, I'm in real estate or I'm in sales or I'm in marketing or I'm in education or I'm in the ministry but those are all wonderful those are positions that they have but the greatest position is to be in Jesus in Christ to belong to him and to be in him that's your position as a born again believer seated in the heavenly places in Christ and that's who Paul Paul is writing to, to the saints in Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ, and I am a saint. Not an ain't. A saint in Jesus Christ. Not in Adam anymore. Woo! Not in sin anymore. But in Jesus Christ. And being in Him makes me a partaker of what? His righteousness, His grace. I mean, everything that he, that he died on the cross to provide is mine, Brother Jim. That's my position. I am righteous positionally today, not by my works, not by my righteousness, but I am righteous because my faith is anchored in Christ and I am in Him and He became sin for me that I could be made the righteousness of God in Him. So go through your New Testament when you're reading, especially in the epistles, starting at Romans, through all the epistles of Paul, all the epistles, especially the Pauline epistles. And when you're reading, just do this. When you see that phrase, in Christ, in Him, in Jesus in the beloved, circle it or underline it because that's telling you your position and what you have in Christ because you are in Him. Huh? Whew. Roman uh, Ephesians 1 7 says, In whom, here's one right here, in whom, speaking of Christ, we have. Redemption through His blood, even the remission, the forgiveness or the remission of sin. That's just one. If any man be 
in Christ. There's another one. He or she is a new, help me here, a new creature or creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. And when you see those in Christ truths and those in Christ and in Him realities, you don't have to beg God to make that happen in your life. If you are in Him, that is yours. You just begin to thank Him for that. Thank God I am He in whom He who knew no sin was made to be sin or a sin offering for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So thank you, Lord, that you, I am in you, and thank you, you have given me your righteousness. I don't know. Did you get anything out of this today? This is who, this is who Paul is addressing, and this is who we are who are in Christ Jesus tonight. And it's going, this is going to get gooder and gooder. It is. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Let's worship the Lord. They're going to lead us in a song.